Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the second week of our animated Halloween movie watch along. And um, my co-host Zach is here, acting like a child. Um, Zach, how are the bubbles today? Um, that was a failure. I also forgot that I'm like on electronics, and the bubbles flashed, <laughs> and now my computer is fairly wet. <laughs> I did not think through this bit. That's fair. That's the fair. Water bubble. <laughs> So last last week you joined us for a discussion of Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Were-Rabbit. This week we're going to talk Paranorman as we continue to talk about animated movies related to Halloween. But let's do our favorite intro first. Zach Ford, last movie you logged on Letterboxd. Uh, last movie I logged on Letterboxd is because I have been marathoning 2009 movies because I'm a psycho and I just do random years, um, <laughs> is uh, The Hangover. Um I feel like I enjoyed The Hangover a lot when I saw it the first, the first time. It was a prime experience. Um, I was working at a movie theater because um, I was like 19, 20. I was 20 years old when they came out. Um, and like me and all my movie theater buddies got to watch it at midnight, like two days before it came out to do the like screening. We kind of made an event out of it. And, you know, like 15 people that were all really into it. And, it, and I think the movie really works well as not like shock humor, but as I'm like, this is like crazy shit happening. And it's, um, you can't really expect what's going to happen the whole movie, and that's where a lot of the humor comes from. Um, and I think once that dries out, this is probably the third time I've seen it, or fourth time, um, I feel like it just seems a little more stale every time. I do say that some of the bigger set pieces um, and, and general concept of all the crazy shit happens, it still kind of works and still entertaining. I still like watching them fuck around with the tiger. Um, I would say the one-liners at this point don't ring as strong as i feel like they used to and, and i just feel like it's just like bro humor it just comes off as like quick shocking things to say or insults or things um and i think that's todd phillips's brand and that brand just died i think with hangover too and it just seems old i feel like judd apatow was able to make that general kind of bro humor a little more real to me and less asshole-ish, a little more everyman-ish. And Todd Phillips takes that bro human to the max asshole frat drunk um, potential it could be. Well, I, I do like Bradley Cooper in the movie a lot, it, which is like the max part of the bro humor. But I feel like his is like, um, not happy-go-lucky, but just like laughing at Zach Galifianakis and just like enjoying all the crazy shit happening rather than Ed Helms, who is one of the worst characters I've ever put in no comedy because it's just like <laughs> such a whiny spoil sport and has no humor involved. Um, but he's the complete antithesis of the Bradley Cooper character who's just like enjoying the shit out of it. And that makes it more fun. You got to own, you know, what is happening, not have someone doubting, you know, the fun of everything that's happening. No, I love The Hangover. Um... On, re on the first time we watch, <laughs> absolutely, I think Galvanakis is hysterical. I think you see why Bradley Cooper did this movie, and people are like, this guy should be the star in a bunch of stuff right. because he just is. He just pops on screen. Um, I actually do think the one-liners were really well. I can think of like five or six of them that I just would still laugh hysterically at right now. Um, really good set pieces. Really fun movie. Um, it's really just kind of like it's just a ride. You, you just started off and you're like, oh, they're going to Vegas. And you're like, oh, this is every other movie. And then they pass out, wake up, and it's just there's a random chicken and there's a tiger in the bathroom. Yeah. And then just like I think the puzzle, as the puzzle aspect of the film is kind of cool at that point. Yeah, Beyond just the yeah. humor is just like you wake up, you're drunk. You've had a crazy night. 
this thing there's and there's like five things that have gone wrong and then you have to figure out what happened and each time you figure something out it makes it weirder yeah and i i'm wondering now as you're speaking if i would still find more enjoyment if they didn't because I, I not that sequels always taint the original one but i feel like because they tainted the exact same formula it made that formula seem stale so well, to be fair to be fair, there's not a lot of comedies, and I still think Hangover 2 is not good, but also funny, but Hangover 2 is a direct, like, it is literally plagiarized from the original movie. Yeah. Like, it is literally... they To where I think it hurt the original movie, because it, it made that feel up. Yeah, I think it's possible. Yeah, absolutely. And then Hangover 3 is just this bizarre thing that I cannot stand. I actually have not seen it. Yeah, don't. It's it's They tried to make it more serious, and... Maybe um, I like it then. I want to watch no, the second like, hangover no. coming in here, representing. Well, well welcome uh, back to our month talking about third movies in comedy franchises. <laughs> hey, anybody said these episodes might be shorter, so now we can spend twenty minutes talking about what we watched last. <laughs> All right, to make this uh, segment, and I will uh, give you a quick spiel. I watched the last movie. I watched the Letterbox was. Kelly Reichert's Wendy and Lucy, which is a really cool small indie film from the director of uh, First Cow, this year, the big A24 film from this year. And it's uh, Michelle Williams just kind of plays a, you don't really, I think, get to know that much about the character, but she has a dog and dog's name's Lucy. She's Wendy. And she's kind of just a drifter in some ways, just kind of traveling across the country trying to figure everything out. And it's just kind of this really quiet but really enjoyable character piece about like what happens if you break down and things go wrong for you in a small town and her just trying to figure out what she needs to do and then you know some tough decisions are put in her path and you kind of get to watch her you know struggle with them and figure out what she needs to do i think it's a really good film and um i'm definitely excited to watch more from kelly record and also yeah. michelle williams is amazing she's a great actress that this we don't is... i don't think we talk about enough how good michelle williams is I... I think we talk about it quite a bit. I don't know what you're listening to. I feel like it's pretty known that Michelle Williams is pretty great. That's fair. But uh, um, let us. I, I, this is kind of a blind spot for me, though, because Kelly Reichardt okay. is a director I really like. Emily Lucy seems real my alley because um, there's like animals in it. And I like movies with animals in it. Yeah. Um, especially. It's on Amazon Prime. Yeah. So at some point, I watch it. I love First Cow and I love a bunch of her other movies. So we got a chance at some point. I like um, Drifters. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Paul Yama. Shout out to him, our previous guest. He's the one who suggested I watch Wendy and Lucy. So uh, thank you, Paul, for that suggestion. But uh, let us continue on to our discussion of our main film for the evening, which is, of course, Paranorman. And we will start with America's favorite segment, which is the Zach Ford plot summary. Zach Ford, can you give us a plot summary? <laughs> and I'm already laughing because this movie is not easy to summarize. <laughs> <laughs> I watched it last night. I watched, um... I watched I finished this movie legitimately six hours ago and i don't <laughs> know if i can do this watch me oh, this be the best one i guess okay. <laughs> Dude, do it, there's a kid with some crazy ass hair sticking okay. straight up and i'm real jealous because he has all the hair i wish my hair sticks straight up but then you can see right through it it's not the thick crop like he has um visual gags for an audio podcast um <laughs> anyways he um the hair i think it's supposed to represent 
especially and it's the guy bros represent his you know weirdness he's different than everybody else because this guy sees dead people hangs out with his grandma on the couch grandma seems real rad i would hang out with ghost grandma all the time his parents are mad at him because he talks about seeing ghosts they think he's a cray cray and the dad is like good old american dad that like i need my son to be normal and play football and so he 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 loves norman but it is rough on him and they get mad at him for throwing uh a fit at a school play of like because he has a vision on that um you know great horrors are going to happen in the town he tells everybody and the town's like what the fuck is with this kid um they ruined our great play of watching a witch get tortured by pilgrims <laughs> they're really into that play uh and then the dad's like this is the last straw you like acted crazy at a place and now you're grounded which is bad parenting like maybe therapy, not grounding him because he threw a bit in the play. Um, it turns out he was right because there was a little girl that that was murdered by the other like pilgrim court or like convicted of being a witch, mm-hmm. and then she kills them all with them because she has a little freak out. Um, and she has now cursed the town with having these you know um, pilgrim judges come back and haunt. The town and they come back as zombies and it's it's norman's job his the reason he was given the gift to seeing dead people was to communicate with them and find a way to help them all get over um the reason why they're you know still on earth they're missing cause and to, to help the town get back to normal um people act with pitchforks they get mad at the zombies the zombies weren't trying to do anything except say hey norman can you you know help us and talk to witch girl um him and witch girl who have the same hair and eyebrows not hair but the color Coincidence? Were they related? Maybe, but she died as a girl, so I don't know how they'd be related. But I feel like they hinted that because the eyebrows are the same. Eyebrows mean a lot. Anyways, um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, he solves all the issues through the act of saying, you know what, all those bullies and assholes, it's because they're scared of us. You need to like empathize with the bullies. We'll talk about this. It's kind of a complex message. and she is able to resolve her issues and go to the afterlife and all is resolved. I feel like I did a great job. I think that was actually <laughs> a pretty good enough considering how hard this movie is. Um, it takes about 10 to 12 different movies worth of horror tropes and puts them in the same movie, which definitely makes it complicated to summarize. Yes. But I think Zach did an amazing job. Um, so let's start a discussion of Paranorman talking about the studio this came from, which is, of course, Leica. Leica is the studio behind films such as Coraline, The Box Trolls, Kubo and the Two Strings, and Missing Link. I'm going to let Zach go first here because I know he is a much bigger franchise fan of this studio than I am. Uh, Zach, Leica, thoughts? Yeah, um, we talked about Aardman last week and they're you know, very hands-on claymation and it's very tangible in a way. You can, I said you can like see the fingerprints and I feel like Leica... You know, first of all, not being claymation, but um, there's a complete opposite. It's just like so intricate and so fussed over um, to where I feel like it is able to bring you in more and kind of forget all the effort. They don't let you forget the effort because they always do a special feature at the end that shows you everything that went into it. Because when you're watching it, it's easy to forget how much work they put in every little detail that they do their faces which although sometimes like simple shapes just have um the right amount of texture and shading and you know the landscapes are same thing so textured and so um 
like thoroughly designed. There's just like every space is used. There's no empty spaces. Um, and good comparison to Adam's family, which is the laziest animation I've seen in a couple of weeks. Um, but for this being, you know, so thought out and detailed, and I, I think that's true. And you know, a lot of like a and like a is the king of like spooky ass kid movies. They they took all these dark themes and say, how do we make them appropriate for kids? We could easily done like a for this whole month. Um, I avoided doing box trolls, but do box trolls at some point. But box trolls fucking rules. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So I think um, I'm a little bit different in that I think this animation is definitely, I think it is in some ways, I think it takes a second to get used to. I think I noticed myself in the early parts of this movie, like it took me a couple minutes to get used to it, maybe get past it as like an animation style, because it definitely, um, you know, it definitely was interesting and it's definitely really cool but it's also very different Ardman is very simple and kind of easy to get into but in some ways this is like it's so intricate and um so Ardman, you described last episode as something that like we can do the best of what like we can do and what? this is like no way this is this like is insane this is terrible <laughs> <laughs> they're very weird. I think definitely they're like very weird. Like it makes sense the movies that they choose to make because they are very intricate and very weird. And at the same time, like Ardman, it doesn't try to be human. It is not at all trying to look like people. It looks they look like weird sorts of people, but it's a very different um style. So I think it took me a second to get used to. But yeah, it is visually very 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 stunning i don't think ardman is visually stunning in the way that a like a movie is yeah it, it it's amazing and they know it they because they say they do the special features they want you to be impressed um but you know they are in their right because they it, it had the amount of hours that it takes to create these you know just visually intriguing i find this as visually pleasing as any you know beautiful live action movie any, like terrence malick movie other great mm. Um, you know, visual filmmakers. I find this almost more pleasing in a way. I just like very satisfied by watching how this is put together and how I think just how you can artificially create a world is is remarkable to me. And that's really what stands out to this movie and a lot of their stuff as well. I do think there is um, emotional connections between a lot of like movies. I think um, with like a lot of my favorite. Um, like movies in general is in capturing the theme of the like darkness and sadness of childhood <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and i think Leica has that perfect understanding of the imperfectness and the sadness of children of that life because a lot of them are through at least Coraline, box trolls and well all except for missing link which is really the exception of their five movies um all have kids that have real souls and like dark parts of their lives without them being like melodramatic it's just like kids are going through shit too and you know they feel in a very specific way that like is able to capture mm. yeah absolutely i think um i think they just like they're interested in while you know we talked about a lot in the Ardman episode the walls and gravity episode just about how um they're really interested in kind of the mundane farm life, small village in England stuff. Um, Laika is interesting in showing you a world that doesn't exist, or at least a fanciful version of a world that maybe did exist. So this, you know, this town is kind of a, 
a small New England town, which, you know, it's pretty familiar to me, but um, it's definitely a weird kind of fanciful version. They like to jump back and forth in time. They like to jump um, into like realities of like, you know, this is the real world and then there's ghosts. And then we're also jumping back in time to like the original period where this happens. So it is definitely, um, they want, they want to show you something. Different. They want, I think they're really interested in being like, you're not going to see another animated movie that is like this yeah. unless we make it ourselves. Like, you know, the idea of just even I think it's a really cool premise of just being like not just making it be a kid who can see and talk to dead people, but then also like the relationship between what the conflict of the film is, is related to a previous murder, but they can talk to those people. So like this kid is someone who is seen as like not great by the people, the humans around him but in the end turns out to be like sort of extraordinary in his ability to bridge these two worlds together to solve the problem that, you know, threatens the survival of everybody in the movie. Yeah. Um, I, I just think Leica makes movies that treats kids in a way that no other studio can make movies for kids. It, it, it treats kids in a more mature way, knowing what they can handle. It's really, it's, it's, they're movies for the, you know, highly literate and emotionally articulate 10-year-old oddballs, which is, you know, a niche community, but they're out there. And the, like, Disney movies they make are not quite for them. And I think this is, you know, making movies for that audience and then helping them find a home. Dude. Well, I think, um, it's, I, think, I think that's exactly what it does. I think the movie is really important and wants to touch on this idea that I think kind of permeates society, which is that if you were really different, that is yeah. a bad thing. And I think that's what this movie is really important to talking about is being different isn't bad. Being different is just different. And sometimes the people who are different are the ones that we need most in situations. And that theme is present in a lot of kids' movies, and that will be in Adam's family as well in the most dumbed-down way possible, because um, this does treat it in, in much more of a complex way, because um, it's not just that, like, being different is scary to other people, but, like, as the person who's different, you need to be able to empathize mm. with how people are viewing you. Like not viewing them as evil as well, like because often the angry mobs that don't understand the whores are these evil human beings that are, you know, um, immoral and inhumane. And this is doesn't hide away from you know the monstrosity of the locals acting irrationally. But like Norman learns and talks to her girl, like you need to understand that they're just scared, and you can't just view them as naturally evil. I think the way they use the zombie judges as like they're like so apologetic and so and he has a bit kind of a really good vocal performance by the lead zombie where he just like delivers um saying like i honestly thought what i was doing was right and for the best and like i know i messed up and i think it that message is what makes it so much more complex than their, than their message that's saying like being weird is you know a skill or a talent it's more like being weird can be scary to other people mm -hmm. and that doesn't make you bad, but you need to understand that people act irrationally and you need yeah. to not, yeah, demonize people. Yeah. I think it's also like the movie really grapples with the idea that like being different for Norman also scares him. Like he's not scared by the idea that he can just talk to random ghosts, but like when his abilities and his differences start him allowing him to see other things and like sort of almost travel through time. I think he's scared by that as well. So it's just like this idea of um, like 
we shouldn't be scared of the differences that others have. We should be accepting and empathetic of different types of people with different abilities, but also we need to grapple with the fact that we ourselves are all different and that empathizing with others' differences allows us to understand and accept our own differences and what each makes us unique and how the idea that if we're all willing to accept others and accept our own uniqueness, that's when we really reach to harmony. And that's kind of like what the end of the film says is basically if we all kind of accept ourselves as who we are. And even like, it's not even just him, it's Norman being able to talk to dead people. There's like the character that is revealed to be gay at the end of the film. And it's just like, oh, we just kind of accept everyone. We each accept our differences. And then, you know, as people, we can live our best lives together. Yeah. And not just accept, but to just not be dismissive, to like listen and try mm -hmm. to get to know people because it's not a, like not just a not accepting them for who they are but they don't even get a chance to let them like say their say or get mm. to know them it's it's like a quick reaction out of fear of i don't understand this and you know must be horrible rather than giving things a chance and gain people to express themselves so it's more about you know in a way communication as well communicating with each other and letting them know how we are feeling and what's going on which is hard for people let me know. I'm trying to teach 12 year olds social emotional learning and those kids don't have souls. I they have <laughs> souls. It just that's a really bad thing to say that could give me in trouble. They have souls. They just it's it's hard it's hard for kids and adults to talk connect. about their feelings and to listen to other people's feelings and be able to connect and yeah and empathize. And I think this movie understands the importance of being able to try and be a witness to other people's troubles and mm emotions and you kind of tied this back in when you were talking earlier to what the real threat of the movie is um which you said was the mob is the threat not necessarily yeah. the, the the creatures we would see as the threat yeah because you for like f the first hour you're still led that these zombies are you know the monsters coming after the town and because they're also were played like we get some flashbacks to know that they were caused trouble to this little girl and that they were kind of you know evil in a way humans um to where now we're able to see them more as evil monsters because the same way that we're saying not to be dismissive as an audience we are being quickly dismissive because we see them with their you know kind of pretty spooky animated bodies with their like slack zombie jaws and you know walking like zombies to where once we're getting a chance for them to tell their story and for us to you know witness their truth then we can have a deeper understanding so it the it, the, the movie plays that trick on you it plays the trick on your expectations just like we judge people based on their cover all the time. We're judging those poor little zombies that just wanted help. They just wanted Norman to help them so they can you know, escape their afterlife um, to, to a more peaceful place. Um, but the, the zombies do look scary as fuck. <laughs> that's where it comes yeah, but, from. But it also plays on just our natural understanding of the horror genre, which is just like yeah. when you see zombies, you assume that they're these mindless bad thing. And I think that they do a cool job as they go along of kind of quickly like uh, humanizing and explaining, oh, I mean, these are people who did something bad in the past. They were all part of a jury that convicted this young girl of being a witch for yeah. kind of no reason. There doesn't really seem to be a lot of... Um, she was talking to dead people, like Norman. Oh, okay. She okay. Had that's what he said they had, they were linked in souls. They had, she had the same power, and they talk about that. She, but she could see dead people. I think she could see her dead mom that also got like accused of being a witch, and that's when they basically they decided to eliminate her because she was different, which again ties back into the whole theme of 
different is not necessarily bad, and it's important to understand. Yeah, and there's the parallel between them being the villains of that day, because at, at, at that moment, the, the court were the villains. They were prosecuting this girl unfairly to as they were acting out of irrational fear, and that is a parallel to you know the real monsters in the modern part of the story being the townspeople acting out of fear. Um, so pulling at that, like it's kind of like universal and timeless parallel that throughout history people have acted irrationally and has caused a lot of you know horrific things throughout history. And you definitely can't relate to now how people acting irrationally and out of fear has um, mm. shaped our political and cultural landscape. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, fun stuff. Yeah, this movie also, like, really is focused on... It is really kind of a melding of a lot of interesting horror tropes, like a, or like very traditional horror tropes, too, is the idea of curses and witches and zombies, but also kind of does unique stuff with them. Like, we don't typically think of um, the curse making the people that it was cast on zombies. That's not typically how curses work it's usually that like the curse that the witch had said was you know affecting their family generations later it's affecting some kind of house or some kind of object it's not usually related to that and it's kind of uh just this interesting idea that like while she holds them cursed and is unable to you know pass on and be with her family they are not allowed to pass on either so they're stuck alive and walking around and they're just like, it is interesting that they're all just kind of desperate to be understood and absolved of you know um something the things that they have done that they now regret but they're stuck because they need somebody to be willing to talk to them and understand them and that's what norman plays in this is he's really just kind of like this person who instigates discussion and understanding between people like that's really his greatest ability is just his ability to listen yeah. and let people speak like how they feel and you know to apologize and say hey you know i screwed up here like, like he gives people the ability that's the symbolism of the power, the symbolism of being able to talk to the afterlife, talk to people that no one else is able to talk to or listen to. Okay, just look, um, so in real life, he's able to hear things that people don't hear, to be that listening eye. So that that is definitely the metaphor of those powers is, you know, being a patient ear to those that are unable to express themselves, maybe in other ways, or those that are often in the shadows or not mm. be given the time to, um, to make themselves expose themselves to other people um i have no um i have no follow-up i just say um because i know it's okay I, I have more to say this kind of ties to this <laughs> idea that i was thinking about which is that the talking to the dead is kind of a mundane power like a lot of times when yeah. you see movies and the character can talk to the dead it's because oh some great power that is scary is going to come to that character or it's the sign of an impending doom or it's in kind of like an apocalypse or something really bad happening and this movie is just like he just walks down the sidewalk and he talks to people who are dead. Like this is just a normal part of his life. And I think that's the cool thing about Leica is that they create these worlds where this is just normal. He's just a lot like the people around him might not see it as normal, but in the mm -hmm. world we're viewing, it comes off as normal. It's not, it's not ridiculous. It's not scary. It's not like the sign of anything. It's just, he has this ability. And so of course he has conversations and talks to these people who are ghosts. Yeah, that's like the opening credit scene, which might be, I think, the most impressive scene in oh, the it's movie. Well. Because it is, you get like the two parallel cities. You get like the, you know, regular living city that he's walking through with the overlay of the, you know, paranormal ghost city of uh, everyone still kind of existing in the world, but they're ghosts. 
existing as they would have. And he's just saying hi to all the ghosts and um, kind of really beautifully designed. There's just like the right amount of like green wisp. It's like not even a full green, just enough green. Like, hey, that's a ghost. Mm. But without it being, you know, too unreal, because it's it looks like someone that's like halfway between, you know, death and the afterlife and the living. They have the right mixture of being a little ghostly, a little monstrously with like just enough human you know, as well, they're still kind of a physical form to them. They're not that just complete wispy gray ghost that we got used to seeing. I'll be honest; it it was really easy to think of um, the army of the dead from Lord of the Rings. One every time I look at them, they do kind of remind me of that. Even just the way that they're kind of held to this oath because they didn't they did something bad, and that they have to get. Um, like forgiveness for it so they can you know pass on really did remind me of that and even like the look from that first scene really does remind me of the the army of the dead from return of the king yeah that first scene is also su- or not first scene but it's the opening credit scene it mm-hmm. is such a like traditional kind of like 80s scene of like the kid main character walking through the town saying hi and you get you um the general exposition of introducing you know what the town the world you live in yeah, but the payoff this is, I said that two worlds that you can see all the ghosts existing within it too. It's not just the suburban town, right? It's the mundane town that you would be used to seeing with the interesting overlay of the ghost, which kind of works yeah. and um, allows you to get into the world, but also like see what's different about the world that like is created. I know you wanted to talk about the humor in this film, and um, like how it it's interesting. <laughs> it doesn't really, does it? Not, it's also is, really forgettable. I feel like the humor is also really forgettable in this film. It's really forgettable. It's fairly lazy. I feel like they needed someone with more comedic comedic touch to do a subscript doctoring. <laughs> um, We're just not, like someone to be like lines to seem like a really easy, obvious joke that was able to mm-hmm. come up. It's not a lot of wit when there's so much wit and intelligence put into the craft of the movie, and it just does not exist within the dialogue. They want to be funny. Why do they want to be funny? I think to make it easier for kids, because I also just don't think it's necessary. I think they could have cut out 90% of the jokes and the movie would work better. Mm-hmm. They don't need to replace the jokes, but just play it much more serious. And I think it was would have been great. I think they I think honestly you could have had a couple of visual gags, like the mm-hmm. um the the uh van rolling down the hill and he gets to the bottom and uh the casey affleck character is like oh we can fix it and then it just kind of collapses i think that's a pretty decent gag but yeah i don't think the the lines work as well i think also it's just like it feels like a little forced like they were like oh we're making a kids animated movie we have to have jokes in it otherwise no one will watch it and it's just the character archetypes that we're playing for humor were so broad and generic of like yeah you know the bully kid that becomes part of the team and you know the jockish brother who they like play off that stereotype at the end by just throwing out that he was gay out of you know nowhere which is you know fine but actually that's a cool that's a kind of a twist to work it's cool but it's kind of playing the homosexuality as a joke <laughs> that is the coming off as like this disappointment for now not True. like a joke about homosexuality as much as a joke about her the girl's expectations of someone she was crushing on mm-hmm. so it's not horrible or offensive but i still think was treating that in the use of that just as a joke but um i do think they do make the joke more about like man she's just kind of clueless and she hasn't noticed the entire time that he hasn't really seemed into her and yeah. uh i think that was more of the joke than anything about like gay being a joke even her as an archetype as this just kind of like boy obsessed. You well, know, she's the she's the she's the, she's the ditzy blonde. 
he's the big jacked up jock. Like they're like you can you can define uh, these stereotypes right. really easy. There are there are archetypes, and I think I guess that's part of a lot of horror, especially 80s horror, with those mm -hmm. kind of teenage archetypes. Absolutely. I just feel like a lot of what this movie was doing was smarter than that. That didn't it could they could have made those characters a little more real fleshed out rather than just vehicles for jokes, because that's what they were. They're vehicles for lazy jokes. Yeah, you could have done you could have definitely done more interesting stuff. Because this movie takes a lot of horror tropes and mixes them around and flips them upside down. And it would have been interesting to see if you no, it takes serious are great. Norman is a really well developed character. I I think the little girl in a lot of the zombies are well developed characters. I would say the mom actually in a way, yeah, um, she's pretty good. And Judy Greer is a pretty well developed character because she gets to play it a little more serious at times as well. And kind of be I, I mean, the best character is the grandma, which is done as a joke, but that joke works. The mom's Leslie Mann, just so we're clear. Uh, it's not oh, a Leslie Mann. Uh, okay, so actually, I wanted to talk about the voice performances. I think this movie does a really good job of um, blending the famous actor voices into character, like doing a really good job of having them play characters. There's only a couple I actually recognized. I did recognize that uh, Casey Affleck was playing like the big jock, and I recognized that Christopher Mintz-Plasse, of course, McLovin from Superbad, was playing the bully. But I wanted to talk for a second about the other one. Voices. You what? cannot mistake Casey Affleck's voice. He's the only person in the world. Also recognized voice. John Goodman's <laughs> voice as the dad and Leslie Mann as the mom. Um, Cody Smith McPhee, who we've seen in like several, I think he's in Ender's Game. He's in the new X Men films. No, that's oh, am I wrong? Oh, he's in. Um, no, he's in the X Men movies. He's in X Men movies. He's in X Men. He's not. He's not in. You're right. He's not in those. He's in. Um, <laughs> he's in the second uh, Planet of the Apes movie. Uh, in the movie The Congress, which is really good. Yeah. yeah. Watch Congress. He's in, Bernard Hill is the judge. So um, King Theoden, which is hilarious. That it reminds me of Lord of the Rings. Is from Lord of the Rings. Is of course uh, the judge from the past that had um, basically sentenced the witch to death. Uh, making air quotes for our audience just listening, um, because of course we're real that this person isn't some evil witch like you know we've known from lore. Uh, and then of course you have uh, John Goodman as the weird uncle, and then uh, What's Jeff Garland. The there you go. <laughs> Jeff Garland and Leslie Mann as the parents, and then of course uh, you know Anna, Anna Kendrick is his sister. And it would be ridiculous not to mention that the wonderful Broadway actress Elaine Stritch plays the grandma. And uh, just a really wonderful voice cast filled with a lot of famous people. And I think this, again, we talked about this in the Ardman episode where, like, it's, again, another movie where they don't have famous people just be the famous person's voice. Like, they, they want them to create characters. And you can recognize some of them. But I do think some of them, they also do a good job of just, like, playing characters. You know, I think the worst thing for an animated movie is if you're watching a movie and you're just like, Oh, there's another famous person, and there's another famous. Like you just like a lot of movies do that, but like I think that's also really lazy. And I like the fact that they're like they're doing a decent job building characters here, especially if the character they're playing has some tie-ins to the persona you're used to. Mm -hmm. And I think that's distracting because then you're like, oh, like if Casey Affleck was being a mopey Casey Affleck person, like, right. oh, that makes sense. It's distracting, but he's playing a broy teenager <laughs> to where. Right. You know, you're able to kind of forget Casey Affleck and just a broy teenager that sounds like him. He's just not what you're used to in that role. Yeah. And yeah, they don't look of, like him. Outside of like a Leslie man playing the mom, none of these people really play this character very often. So that makes it more interesting. I would say 
Jeff Garland is doing it. Yeah, okay, Jeff Garland too. But like the parents, <laughs> he's parents... kind of a voice. He he does a lot of voice acting, right? I feel like I so. he just has that booming, powerful voice. Um, and I think that's just kind of more what we relate to it now, rather than Jeff Garland as a human actor. So it's a little different. Yeah, I believe he is in. Let me take a look. See what he's got for. Oh, he's done some stuff in like Toy Story three and Cars two and Wall-E. Like he's done some stuff with Pixar, so he has like voices in the Pixar universe. I, I think they just pick a, some of the actor choices they have, even though their voices are so identifiable. I'm going to talk specifically about Anna Kendrick and Christopher Vince Class. Very identifiable by both voices and um, kind of just acting techniques. That's their normal mm-hmm. technique they're using this, but they just blend so well with the animated style. Like you can see both of them being cast in tons of animated movies because I think it could just be accessible to very characters. They just had that very kind of exaggerated personas that they mm-hmm. well in animated movies. They do have a voice that works really well for it. Like it's very um, upbeat yeah. and like into it. There's not a lot of, um, it's not very laid back. Like those still voices, you want that kind of um, interesting but powerful voice for an animation performance. Yeah. I mean, I can honestly see this being all Chris Rimmons Plus has left in his career for the next 30 years. Well, Chris Rimmons Plus has legitimately played the same character in every movie just aged up slightly. Like that's kind of his shtick. That's is that he the just magic didn't... of animation. You you escape your archetypes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he's done a lot of animation. He did like the How to Train Your Dragon movies and then this. Um, do you have any other final thoughts on Paranormal? Oh, maybe. I didn't even re- realize we were so close to the end of this. Ah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I only asked the question because I thought we had... Um, Talked the stuff we wanted to talk. Let's continue on to our second part. We wanted to, uh, you know, in the Tom Hanks month, we did a lot of, let's talk about this decade of Hanks' career, but we want to relate these animated films back to the horror uh, tropes, archetypes, and things that they're pulling from. So, uh, Zach, why don't you tell us what this movie feels like you is taking from horror as a genre. Yeah, and, and I definitely want to hear your perspective on this because I may be completely bullshit this on sparse knowledge of the source material I'm going to connect this to. Um, but I feel I found this story vibing a lot with kind of Stephen King mythology. I think mm-hmm. having this, I don't know where this town takes place, but it definitely seems like, like a New England. It's you know, Massachusetts. So it is. Yeah, because it's like witchcraft, Salem, shit. Yeah. So, yeah, it's um, hollow. Okay. So, that kind of small New England town, um, you know, like su- suburbia with a dark history, which is very Stephen Kingy. That 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 town's history is scarred um, by some horrors in the past, and those horrors come back. You know, to haunt future generations, um, often dealt with by youth. Uh, there's a lot of nasty adults, which is a consistent theme in Stephen King horror movies. Um, the nasty adults in this would be the, you know, jury that persecuted the girl, and as well as the, you know, mob of confused, irrational um, locals. Where um, I definitely felt like this kind of thin the vibe, definitely like the it vibe um uh, of these you know spooky adventurous nostalgic kid horror things that Stephen King you know is a master of 
it does feel like it is a little bit uh, related to that. I think this movie takes from a lot of different places, and I think that's why it's harder than some other stuff to relate back to horror because um, it does have like the small town New England thing, which does seem Stephen Kingy, but it also definitely has. Um, it's definitely pulling from like Salem uh, witch trial stories and any kind of lore related to that. Like it clearly pulls from that, but it also pulls from a lot of zombie stuff um, because it, you know, it has zombies in it, but like, it's honestly a really interesting, it's kind of interesting that this movie works because it is a blending of so many different things that in theory, a lot of people could have looked at the script and gone, you have too much going on. You can't do small town kids being bullied and which and which yeah zombies witches ghosts on um, the shine curses curses um, <laughs> the key has the shine that's what it is right <laughs> basically yeah it's a weird um yeah it's a weird uh it's a weird interesting thing and then like he's getting talking to dead people but there's zombies think, like yeah. but the zombies aren't like the same but like it's it's you know it's it's kind of interesting in that respect that it takes so many different potential horror things and kind of puts them together and it works which is i think kind of i got real credit to like it is that in a lesser studio and lesser hands this could have really been like a movie that just tried to that threw 15 horror tropes at the screen and you walked away from it going that was terrible yeah and this is why i picked this movie the like it once i'm saying because all of them are, are pretty halloweenish and a lot spooky but i think this one is the most blatantly homage to horror movies um, I, I do want to say, as we were going through the archetypes, there is, I think, a lot of homage to the 80s kind of slasher film stuff, too, as far as creating, you know, the group of teenage characters, um, mm. how to deal with the issues, also, like, kind of, like, Fright Nighty and just a lot of the 80s horror stuff. But Yeah, it's got a lot of different, uh, a lot, a lot of different stuff in there. And I think it kind of is very unique in that respect, and that it doesn't, it's not trying to be just one type of horror it wants to pull from a bunch of different ones and then blend them together to create like this almost yeah. whole. Yeah. I would say all the horror elements work great. Comedy elements. Fuck you. <laughs> all right. And with that, uh, Zach, do you have any more final thoughts for our audience? Absolutely not. All right. Well then I want you to thank you guys for joining us for discussion of paranormal. Um, and I hope you will join us next week when we discuss a really fun one, but also one that definitely it definitely has one type of movie it is attempting to pull from. And that is, of course, Hotel Transylvania, which is a very clear vampire analogy. But um, I'm not convinced you've seen Hotel Transylvania. <laughs> I, mean, I feel like if anything Hotel Transylvania has played off of, it's Monster Mash. That's Hotel probably true. Trans That's probably true. That's probably true. But it is focused, in theory, on vampires. Um, and so uh, come back next week when you get to watch us discuss Hotel Transylvania, potentially with a special guest. Who knows? We're going to teach you now. Potentially, we have a special guest. <laughs> potentially. Zach, don't spoil this. Don't spoil the intrigue. We will see you next week.